Wow. All right. So that's my standard. 80-year scotch. That's the standard now. <laughs> that's my baseline. The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by 291 Colorado Whiskey, by Michter's, and by Heaven Hill Brands. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fred Minnick Show. Thank you for joining. Thank you for downloading. I appreciate you listening. Fred here. Excited for this week's guest, Jared Allen, the great Minnesota Viking, who is up for the Pro Football Hall of Fame once again. This is his third year in a row. And by the way, I think he should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's my opinion. Great player. And to Deion Sanders' point back in, uh, you know, a couple months ago, he's like, you know, we want people who change the game. Well, you know what? I would say that the way Jared Allen, Jared Allen rushed the passer uh, definitely changed the game. You can definitely make an argument that he's one of the reasons why they made it uh, a little bit more difficult to touch the quarterback. Today, it's roughing the cuticle versus roughing the passer. That being said, you know, Jared joins us and uh, we talk about uh, the Super Bowl and who he likes there. And by the way, I mean, everybody's all up on the Philly train. So that makes me wonder, (laughs) Andy Reid in the Reid Bowl is going to have himself a little surprise coming on up. Uh, and of course, uh, he talks about what it's like waiting for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We also have a little sneak preview of something he's got up his sleeve in the bourbon world. <laughs> yes, that's right. Jared Allen has a bourbon coming out, so I'll be tasting that and talking about it here very, very soon. Uh, but uh, going to be a good episode, a lot of football, a lot of bourbon, we also busted out some 80-year-old scotch, and uh, yeah, what a, a lot of rum. You know what? We just sat around and drank a lot and talked about a bunch of football, so good times. So enjoy this week's episode with uh, the great Jared Allen. Second time on the Fred Minnick Show, by the way. Heaven Hill Distillery is sharing ideas on how to pair their African whiskeys with popular West African flavors for a full cross-cultural experience. Learn more about this series of Afro-fusion dinners and why Jack Begadu, the hood sommelier, says nothing quite opens the mind to a new experience like a good glass of bourbon. You can find this at their blog at heavenhilldistillery.com slash afrofusion. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Cheers. People want a great whiskey that isn't like every other whiskey. So nestled in the shadow of Pikes Peak, 291 Colorado whiskey is distilled from grain to barrel to bottle. Exceptional Western whiskey, unlike any other. Passion permeates every sip. Utilizing grains from the Colorado Plains, water collected from Pikes Peak Reservoirs, and finished with Aspen Staves, 291 Colorado Whiskey is an award-winning single-barrel and small-batch whiskey. Hard-made the Colorado way. Our recipe, our stills, independent and always rugged, refined, and rebellious. 291 Colorado Whiskey is proud of its humble roots and excited as we expand to new frontiers. Get your taste of Colorado at 291coloradowhiskey.com. Online orders available or find a bottle near you. Ride it like you stole it. Drink it like you own it. Live fast. Drink. 
At Michter's Distillery, our passion is making the finest bourbon, rye, and American whiskey possible. When you only produce very small batch and single barrel whiskey as we do, each and every barrel has to be perfect. No detail is too small for our production team. From careful attention to the 18-month or more air-dried wood used in the construction of our barrels, to entering our distillate into the barrel at the costlier or lower barrel entry proof of 103 so that it's smoother, to heat cycling our barrel houses, to our signature filtration protocol, we spare no expense in pursuing our goal of making the greatest American whiskey. And no Michter's gets bottled until our master distiller, Dan McKee, and our master of maturation, Andrea Wilson, say it's just right. Michter's Fort Nelson Distillery in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, is open for tours and tastings. Book your visit on our website and stop by the bar at Fort Nelson for a world-class cocktail. For more information, follow us on social media at Michter's Whiskey, go to michters.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Michter's Distillery. It's all about the whiskey. Hey, everybody. Ryan Leaf here. Uh, We are about to drop three bonus episodes for my podcast, Bust, the Ryan Leaf story, the most honest, transparent, and vulnerable podcast you will hear. Me in front of a microphone taking you through the start to the finish right here on Podcast One. All right, and joining the Fred Minnick Show in my my studio, I got this arranged special just for you, Jared. The great Jared Allen, soon to be in the National Football Hall of Fame, or Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. This is this yeah. is a cool deal. It's always nice to, uh, last time I did this, I was in Tahoe, so it was quite yeah. some miles between us, but uh, I don't live too far from you, so it was nice to shoot on up here and do this, and hopefully, yes, hopefully third time is the charm, and I get that nod. We'll see what happens. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, we just we just had lunch, and you said you're like, you know, you're not answering the phone right now. <laughs> You know, our- <laughs> well, the last two times, yeah, I got a phone call from the hall, and that ended up being uh, no bueno for me, right? So, how did they how did they approach that? They uh, they call you and they just say, uh, "Oh, sorry, wasn't your year this year. Don't tell anybody." And then they uh, they hang up on you for the most part, right? Like, wow, better luck next time. And uh, and then last year, I still had some interviews up until you know. They, they reveal everybody on the show and I had to call my publicist and I was like I'm not going to do interviews pretending like I still have a chance <laughs> no I don't have a chance so wow. hopefully I don't, I don't know how the system is going to work this year um, I am grateful though because I have had friends in the past that have had to go out to Super Bowl for the old the old way they used to do it yeah you were in a hotel room and you're right? in a hotel room and you either get a phone call or a knock and for me I just am like it it's just that's a bit much you know like you imagine having your wife dressed up you're all in Mm -hmm. a suit ready to go down to some event you don't know if you're getting in um so i've seen the i've seen the uh, total just like drained face of emotions from you know for people that didn't that didn't get in and had to go through that process so i am grateful that i get a phone call or or not knock and i but i get to do it at my house i don't have to be uh, yeah you know drug through the dog and pony show too much Did, did they give you like a a window no, uh, I think I'm within the window, though. I mean, I know they have to plan some travel, so it's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty close here. Okay. Well, just so you know, like you're welcome to, you know, if you get your phone on, you know, you can take the call here if you want. But well, yeah, I just don't want to cry on the air. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> it's a phone call. I'm like, oh no. You should also probably be around your your family for that. Yeah, I'm like, oh, harsh. Uh, That's harsh. I'll leave it on the voicemail. But I, but I will say <laughs> this: we've got plenty of uh, plenty here to celebrate, or you know, or cry. Yeah. Either yeah. way, I might have the Uber all the way back to Nashville. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, you brought me a little uh, a little sample here. It states uh, MGP of in Indiana, uh, proper proper rate jam, J-A-M, blend 2115, 75%, uh, 21% rye, and then 25%, 45% wheat, and that's the wheat of bourbon, uh, proof 116.7 proof, and this would have been bottled uh, before Christmas, 12-12-2022. What's this all about? So that is a little uh, project my buddy and I are doing, and uh, we got together a few years back and decided we wanted to kind of create our own our own bourbon, um, but you know didn't want to go through the whole build a distillery, you know spend all that money, wait all that time. We wanted some ten year juice, um, so we started sourcing, and I think I think the bourbon world has shifted. You're, you'd be a better historian on this than I, of course, to where you know. I can remember when I first started drinking bourbon, like if it wasn't Kentucky straight, you know, mm -hmm. if it wasn't from right. Kentucky, it just wasn't worth anything. Like people would try to hide the fact that their juice was from MGP or or sourced outside of the state of Kentucky. Right. Uh, or everybody had to have a distillery, right? Because you had to have your own secret, your secret mash bill, all that. Um, and so I think that that shifted some. Uh, but my buddy and I, we just kind of embraced that, you know, the fact that I'm like, if someone is the number one producer of something, they probably do it pretty well. And so we kind of started going through the process because it was going to be boutique. It was going to be something kind of for us. And if, if it hit and we, you know, made a couple bucks, great. If not, Christmas presents for, uh, for some years to come. And so we started going through the process with MGP and they've been fantastic to work with, sending us samples and tasting. And then we kind of ended up, we got into this, well, we didn't really like this. We wanted a weeded bourbon, but you know, we didn't really like what the weeded blend, you know, was. And then, we really liked the rye, but we thought it was missing something. Um, and so we ended up, you know, coming back and mixing and getting actually a four grain with you and you out of the Mart uh, malton barley. And it's something that we we were like, dang, this is pretty good. Even, and, you know, our wives, my wife's not the biggest bourbon, you know, she doesn't drink whiskey really much at all, but he has a good palate. And she was like, that's not too bad. <laughs> and so we uh, we put it in a barrel and we said, hey, let's let it sit for uh, roughly another five years and see what happens. Uh and so we've been we've been pulling samples, you know, roughly every six months, mm -hmm. um, and it really jumped from last year to this sample. Um, and it's just everybody I've tasted, we got nothing but positive feedback. So, you know, of course, you don't you don't get to uh, you don't get to actually say it's good until you get the official Fred Minnick seal of approval. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, it's just been a fun pet project we're working on. Um, I don't know where it's going to go. You know, I, I, I kind of like that Kentucky Owl model of this is what we have when we have it, come and get it. But um, it's definitely something that, that you know, we've enjoyed the process and it, it took months to get to this place. And then, you know, watching it age has been a, uh, has been a fun, a fun deal. And then kind of seeing people's reactions to it. Right. Mm -hmm. My only stipulation when I give it to people to try is that I get your honest feedback. Sure. And uh, because that, you know, again, you would know better than I, um, you know, of how we, how we want to age it. Do we want to do, you know, 
is there a cap on what it's going to do? Is it going to, you know, come back? And then obviously your yield, your yield drops dramatically when you get into the eight, nine, 10 year plus range. Um, so, you know, we're just kind of trying to find those profiles. And I think, you know, we, it's been fun to taste and I actually have some recordings and, and, and notes taken from people I've, I've let uh, sample it, you know, from last year to you know, even when we first got it and just to see the, the color difference and the flavor difference and to where you're kind of like, it's not bad. It's not bad. To all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's pretty good. Right. So it's, it's been a fun journey and that's what it is. It's a journey. I think that's what, that's what bourbon's about. Right. Absolutely. And uh, our main philosophy behind it was, you know, you know, my buddy's a complete geek, right? I always say there's three levels of there's, there's drinkers. There's, there's, there's the people out taking their shots. There's people like me who enjoy good, good booze, enjoy a good bourbon, I can I can speak to it with with some uh, sort of I can have a conversation about it, but at the end of the day I don't know if uh, if rose petals, peppercorns, and uh, and uh, uh, pecan husks yeah. are involved. But then my buddy, you know, and, and guys like you with much better palates. So you know, we always we kind of came up with this philosophy like, you know, I want someone else to worry about the juice. I want to enjoy who I drink it with, and yeah. I think we found a good balance. All right. Well, I tasted this before we had lunch. And my first impression was I really, really liked it. I thought it was uh, it reminded me of a lot of the good MGP blends that are out there right now, which, you know, if you can buy from MGP, I don't know why you wouldn't. It's an incredible distillery. So that's a, that's a good hookup. Not a lot of people can get that, Jared. Yeah. It, you know what? It, it, and it came about organically. Like I said, you know, it's about who you know in this life. Right. And I got lucky to, to be at it a former Kansas city chief and uh, my guy, David Dykstra down there, he brought us in as new clients, especially at such a low level, right? We, you know, we bought, we didn't buy nothing but a handful of barrels uh, when we first came out. And um, so to be able to come back and, uh, you know, you know, buy some more and, and continue that relationship has been fun. And like I said, we got to go tour the, uh, tour the factory out there in Indiana, uh, which I highly recommend if anybody has the opportunity to, yeah. to do it and hear the history about how it's the old Seagram's plant. Right. They bought. Um, and, and about, you know, the, why it's there, you know, I, I assumed it was there because of the Ohio river coming down and they can, you know, import, export all that stuff. And it actually has everything to do with the aquifer it sits on, right? It sits on one of the largest aquifers Absolutely. in the area. They're yeah. pulling water straight from there. And the sequence plant was built. What? I mean, I'll probably mess this up, but I mean, it's almost a hundred years old, right? Yeah. It's building the 1800s. 1800s. And yeah. so a couple hundred years and they're just, they're, they're four. The, the forward thinking on that plant is insane. And so from the historic standpoint, it was super cool to see how, what, where, why it's made and just the abundance of corn coming through yeah. there and uh, all the different mash levels and computers that run it. It was a cool deal. But if I'm to break this down, it's uh, it's quite tasty. It's 116 proof. The one thing, yeah. it's, got, uh, it's got a little, got some citrusy on the nose. Feels great on the palate. Yeah, this is this is quite good. I appreciate. Yeah, I remember when we first tried it without before we went, uh, you know, different levels of the weeded on it too. Was that, you know, sometimes you drink those higher proofs. At least for me, your palate kind of gets you almost get that waxy taste at the back end. For me, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's from like your palate getting fried or whatever it is. Yeah, and that was what we were kind of trying to avoid. Was that you know how do we how do we take something? To, I mean, I'm a big fan of barrel strength stuff. Um, 
but keep it smooth enough to where, you know, you're not watering it down too much. Right. Or even having something that even, I, you know, because I'll put a cube on anything, um, but that you still get the same flavor profiles, right? And so it, it's, like I said, so far so good. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, you almost get that, for me, I get that, that hint of the, the hint of the sweet of the, of the, of the wheat that kind of helps finish out the, 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 the strong rye. I think the most unique thing we've gotten feedback on is that for wheat or for a four grain, right? It was actually what it is, is that there's not a whole lot of heavy rye four grains. And, you know, I guess rye is probably one of those, you like it or you don't. I happen to like a, like a, I like love a, rye. Yeah. yeah. Rye is uh rye is a really good, it is hard for a lot of like my wife doesn't like rye, you know, unless it's like 25 years old, which at, yeah. at that point it's, you know, you're tasting just great whiskey. Um, but like rye and bourbon, the higher you go up, you know, the more spice can pop out of it. Yep. If it's, um, you know, younger ryes tend to taste better than young bourbon. So rye, rye can really, you know, bolster a whiskey in a big way, especially if you're doing a blend. So that I've had that 45% wheat by itself at this age. And, you know, what you have here is, you know, two or three times better than that. Oh. Look at that. Yeah. So just cut, I, cut, cut the tape right there. Let's yeah. I, and, and I'll say too, I'll say too, like, you know, we were talking before, like, when is the right time to, to bottle this, right? Yeah. You know, that's, that's do a you, big, do you bottle it? Question. Do you let, do you let it sit for, you know, a few more years? And I think MGP historically for me has not done that well after 10 years old. You know, most of the stuff that you see that they put out is like, uh, that people are are bottling are is eight you know six to eight years old yeah and it's, I think that's a real sweet spot for that and and that's one of the I think that's one of the cruxes of a distillery like a lot of these distilleries know who they are like yeah. Jim Beam and they know who they are Wild Turkey they know who they are MGP they only came into possession of that Lawrenceburg Indiana distillery in two thousand. 11 to 13 yeah, say relative, relatively like it was 10, so they're not right, yeah. they still don't know uh what their product is and plus they changed their model a yeah. lot they were just kind of selling their neutral their, spirits their, and ingredients they yeah. were just selling right yeah. they're just selling their stuff to other people and now they're bottling their own stuff with their remus line and so forth so and remus has actually really taken off i mean that's yeah. been one of those ones that's really kicked in i think that's kind of us to help establish we were talking about earlier just kind of that uh stigma of mgp or indiana or anything right. sourced right and then remus came along and people were like oh this isn't this isn't bad but I, if you if you go through and look i'm always i'm always shocked if you if you pick up a good bottle of bourbon a lot of the times it says you know indiana on it people yeah. just people just forget you know they don't, they don't advertise it but um yeah we've been happy with the project we've been we've been having fun with it um you know you're you're literally the the First person we've actually talked about it outside, you know, just friends, family, and, and some and some circles. So okay. it's been a it's been a cool deal. We don't even we, we kind of have a name. We don't really know if it's going to stick. We got some marketing meetings yeah, tomorrow. Well, don't say that. Don't say no, the never, name here. Never, because, you know, never. So, unless you have a trademark. No, someone yeah. listening to this like, oh, absolutely, my not. name now. Absolutely not. <laughs> so um, yeah, that, but that's that's also the fun part of the process, right? But our yeah. first our first and foremost is to focus on the juice and. Uh, and and keep and keep that elevated. But well, yeah. that's that's the right way to go about it. It really is. Uh, you know, it, has this process been in any way, shape, or form like playing 
football. You got a team around you. Like Peyton Manning talked when he was when I was talking to Peyton, Peyton gave this analogy of like how you know, uh, Marianne Eves was the quarterback and so and so was offensive lineman. I was just like, I was like, that's interesting. So no. we haven't gone down that road yet because I don't think we're we're far enough into the weeds on uh, on distribution and where we want to go with that. Because you know, ideally, our mindset was ten years. Yeah. Which right now, and like I said, we're just about we're at seven, um, and so you know, they we're kind of getting that mold of like, all right within the next few, we need to have everything, you know, ironed out. So we're still early in that stage, but I look at it more as the relationship between a player and a coach. Right. Mm -hmm. So I look at this more as strategic partnerships. Um, when you're going, you know, having, having the right people help you in the right areas <laughs> is, is big. I think they're a little different because I think they're distilling down there at Sweden's Cove. Right. Mm -hmm. If I'm uh, not, no, not yet. Oh, they're not. Okay. No, okay. No. So, um, so, you know, I, I look at it from the same standpoint of athletics in my football career is that you have to constantly be learning, right? You you have to be gaining knowledge. And the minute you think that you're, you know, you're too good to learn from your mistakes is when things fall back in your face. But um, I also, you know, I look at, I'm very detail oriented in that aspect, like I was in football to where if you take care of the details, the rest of the stuff will fall in place. We used to always say you have to earn the right to rush the passer, right? If you're if you're so worried about rushing the passer, you forget about the run. You're actually never going to get a chance to rush the passer. And if you're trying too hard to get these sacks and you lose your technique and your fundamentals, you're not breaking down an offensive lineman properly when you're rushing. You're actually not going to get the sacks. So you're actually going to do more damage trying too hard. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I look at this. I like taking it step by step. I like to listen. Same way when I hunt. You know, I've been hunting for years, but anytime I have a guide, I'll pretend like. I've never hunted before and I just try to gain as much information as I can. So uh, I've been lucky to be surrounded by and, and know some, some, you know, people in the industry, obviously yourself. Uh, so it's nice to have the first time to chat with you about it. Um, I know some of the people over at proper 12, um, just owning a, owning a, a restaurant in, in full Arizona. disclosure. That's way better than Conor McGregor. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. By the way, do you think you could take Conor? Like if Conor came up and tried to get up on you, you think Ooh, you could take that's, him? A, that's a good question. So I'm actually a fan of Conor. I think he's a hell of a fighter. He's a great fighter. I'm also about, well, I was at one point about, you know, hundred pounds heavier than him. Um, but I, I'm going to say yes from the standpoint of I I, I have a philosophy. <laughs> I do not lose. <laughs> and if you come, I'm going to one. I'm a one upper. That's just what it is. I am a one upper. So uh, I don't fight fair. I'm not going to lose, and uh, that is my philosophy. But I am a fan of Conor McGregor. But at some point, sheer size and mass overtakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, you know, so yeah, I mean. Again, fantastic. I'm sure it would hurt if you hit me, but um, he's fast. He is. He he's is. Fast, yeah. But I always like to put my money on myself. A guy like that would go. <laughs> a guy like that would would size you up real quick, and he would look at your joints, and he would find a weak joint, and he's like, "I'm going." He would try. He'd try try to leg kick, right? Yeah, I would check it for sure. Um, I was fortunate enough to train with some bunch of MMA guys back in the day. Um, you know, like Chuck, actually, you know, Chuck Liddell very well. Alex Carolexis runs my foundation. We trained with him for almost eight plus years. Um, so, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Connor. I, I, I like the way, I like the energy he brings, the way he fights as far as that standpoint goes. Uh, it's unfortunate the, the leg injury because I think he was good for the sport. But yeah. at the end of the day, um, as I'm sure any grown man would say, 
um, I'm just not going to let, I'm not letting someone get over on me. <laughs> Francis Nagato, yeah, he probably has a chance. <laughs> Love it. So um, speaking of players that, you know, people that may have gotten one over on a, on your team one, once upon a time, Tom Brady, now since retirement, how do you, how do you feel about that? Hey, I mean, whatever, whatever you feel is right. I, I think, I think people should play until they, they can't anymore. Or, or, you know, for me, it wasn't about the physical, it was about the mental. I wasn't willing to put the hours in, mm-hmm. in the off season anymore to be at the level I needed to be, which I considered, you know, my level. So I think, you know, anybody who retires needs to sit back and, 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 and go through that process of, okay. Am, a, am I willing to prepare like I need to, to to maintain the level of excellence that I'm accustomed to? Uh, B, can my body hold up? And C, am I mentally ready to give it up? Mm-hmm. Um, because so many guys in our business are forced out, and so they have to they have to constantly battle those uh, those questions. But I think a guy like Tom and I was fortunate myself uh, to be able to make the decision myself. Um, I think those are the conversations he's having with him, you know with him, within himself and saying, okay. Is my life fulfilled? You know, is my career fulfilled? Which obviously it, it should be. Have I accomplished what I can accomplish? And then also again, do I have the physical and mental stamina to continue to compete at a level I need to be relevant and be and to sustain and be successful? Um, and when you go through that process, then you can make a you know decision with a clear head. So um, the guy gave us twenty three years of greatness. Um, you know, it, it was fun. It was fun as a, as a fan of the sport to to watch that uh, it was fun to compete against him and so uh, hopefully he enjoys the uh, retirement life like the rest of us he'll probably go into broadcasting because he seems like a kind of guy that doesn't like to sit still uh, but for me uh, I enjoy retirement life so welcome to it my friend did you ever sack Tom Brady I did I did actually my rookie year actually got a Monday Night Football very first play of the game wow I got him a couple of times I think but yeah, it was uh, that was that was the most memorable. Did you did you slap him on the ass like you did Peyton Manning? No, I should have. I should have given him the old. Yeah. Uh, I also wasn't dressed in a uh, speedo and uh, and uh, USA swim cap with goggles with gold medals either. <laughs> so another another quarterback you played up played against is uh, kind of in this. Yeah, uh, he, he's almost. He's almost following the the footsteps of Brett Favre, and uh, is he going to retire? Is he going to come back? He doesn't quite know. And that's Aaron Rodgers, of yep. course. You played against him. Yeah, Aaron. Uh, again, I, I've had you know, I'm not, I'm not really know Aaron that personally off the field. Um, we get along just fine. We're cordial every time we see each other. Uh, but that is that has been something weird to watch, to be honest. You know, just kind of see the match the. The masturbation, or no, what's the word I'm looking for? The evolution of Aaron Rodgers, I should say. Um, it's, I, here, here's my honest take on that. I think if if Green Bay wants to get better, you know, right now Aaron's the bulk of their cap. Mm-hmm. You know, you look look at you just talked about Tom Brady. Look what he always did to make sure he had players around him. When Aaron was successful there, they had great players around him. Yeah, I mean, there's no taking anything away from Aaron Rodgers as how great of a quarterback he is. But I think what that's proven, it doesn't matter how great one individual is in football. It's not like basketball. You have one or two great players, you can win championships. If you don't have any players around you, you don't have a line to protect, you don't have the ability to create for others, 
you, everybody can focus on you. And I think, you know, I think that's what's happened there. They've paid him so much money. They don't have the cap space to get him any help. And or, you know, whether it's his, his you know, it's attitude, ego, or the fact that they're not willing to pay anybody else because they have to pay him. People have left and ran off. You know, look at I me, mean, Jordy Nelson. I mean, we can go back from right. you know, when I was with Jordy Nelson, gone. Uh, Jennings, gone. Driver retires. Um, you know, Charles Woodson. Charles Charles Woodson, yeah. right? You and from the defensive side, you know, you got you know Matthews leaves. Uh, AJ Hawk leaves. Um, again, the football is a business as well, but I don't think the Packers as a whole did a great job of keeping players around him. And whether that's you know because all their cap was tied up with him, so. I, I think that's what think that's where the block. I think from a business side, you're seeing you're seeing a flaw in the Packers mm-hmm. uh business model. And Aaron's taking the hit he's taking the uh, the personality hit for it, if you will. Uh the other side of it is, you know, listen, I'm not one to turn down money either. I get it. But at the same time, you want to win championships, you want to do this, you you gotta have people to deliver it to. So it'll be interesting to see and uh you know, I don't think he can be mad because he saw it play out with Brett, and it's almost playing out identically the same. If he ends up with the Jets, oh my god, I'm gonna my mind is gonna be blown. I'm gonna be like, well, I guess he's going to Minnesota next yeah, year too. Next, it's like, <laughs> is he gonna send a dick pic? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. He's when he's all when he's all. What's the what's the what's the hallucinogenic he's taking? Whatever, these days? yeah, whatever thing he's on. At yeah, the time. my philosophy with that that's just effing weird. I'm sorry, yeah. you know, Aaron. I'm sure, you'll see this. Uh, that's weird, bro. Um, all respect for anybody who wants to take their personal journey the way they take it. But if I got to vomit on myself and freak the F out and hallucinate to find myself, mm. we, it ain't that, right. I'm already gone. Right? <laughs> 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 oh, so you are, um, I want you to, first of all, think about, you know, what, what you, so what else you would like to taste here. We we're surrounded by, by bottles and, you know the the camera frame. It'll look like it's nice, neat, and organized, and everything's n- nicely lit. But in reality, this is a clusterfuck in here. Yeah, but but it's a beautiful. It's like it's, it's like a- disorganized chaos <laughs> meets harmony. That's what this is. That's what it is with a lot of booze. Yes. Um, um, I you know what dude? I like again. I am in your world. Okay. And as a man who again likes to like to, likes to learn and knowledge. Well, tell me I, what do you what do you I uh, think I want I want food for like what kind of fl- what flavor anything anything are you I wanting want- a pecan husk? <laughs> you gotta surprise me. Uh, which, by the way, anybody out there who ever compares any bourbon to pecan husk, you're full of crap. Unless you've ever had pecan husk in your mouth, <laughs> I, I will say I say pecan shell. <laughs> so there a lot. you go. Pecan shell. Well, see, I would I would expect you to have tried something. Like, yeah, like, okay. I, I had a pecan tree. I grew up behind uh, our house. Had pecan trees. Yeah, all on it, and like we'd climb them. And those those trees are so beautiful and they're so sturdy. And we would take the pecans and we would put them in our slingshots and hit each other. Oh, nice! So I mean, it was always a great time. But the shell is really bitter. Okay, and so I'll explain bitterness as a pecan shell, walnut shell. Because those shells that hold those those tree nuts are very very bitter, and it's similar. It's similar to like what wood would taste like, and yeah. so it's like the closest comparison that I can give someone outside of saying licking uh, a tree stump or a piece of lumber or something. <laughs> it's a very bitter, astringent. Kind go of down thing. to there. Go down to eighty four lumber. Lick, lick some pine, and you'll be good to go. You'll eighty four lumber. I know that spot. Um, well, here's so, the so I want you to surprise me with something off brand, right? Because I think so many times. Mm-hmm. We fall into the trap 
of wanting to drink a brand we've heard of or seen that, you know, for example, I got to be honest, I've never actually had Pappy, but I don't. You've never had Pappy? Never had Pappy. You own restaurants. I know, but I've just never, I just never. Do you want to try it? We can, but my point of it is that that's that's what everybody like anybody who starts out they're like oh you gotta right. have pappy okay. right so i'm the type of guy that i like to know i want you know i was telling my wife for example when we when we first got married you know buying a bag i was just like you can have any bag you want like, i'll get you any bag except a louis vuitton because every nfl wife has a louis vuitton or it was like when i remember i got i used i used to be into watches right i was like at the time I got one gift to me later, but everybody bought a Breitling. I was like, I will wear anything but a Breitling. Nothing against right. them. I just like to have nice stuff that people don't know about. Like, you know, like I might be wearing, you know, a thousand dollar pair of cowboy boots. You just might not know that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not actually. Um, but so that's my point. So I like in like the bourbon world and that kind of stuff, I started kind of going down little rabbit holes and always, because uh, I always knew Pappy would be there and I'll eventually get to it at some point. But I've always started just trying things. That you want you want something off. outside of the norm. Yeah, outside, outside of, of the, the norm that throws comp to that. Okay. Yes. Um. See, I'm test. I'm testing your knowledge now. <laughs> well, it, it's a matter of like getting you something that so many things that are outside of like the normal parameters taste like shit. Oh you know? yeah, it's got to taste good. And, though. and so like gotta I got to get you something. How do you feel about like? Because most of our conversations end up with you talking about like. Um, about a bourbon that has some age on it you like you typically like things with about eight years on it at the least i i do i do um you don't like the taste of youth in other words not necessarily because like we talked earlier i thought that the leaper's fork brand yeah i had i thought that was i believe that's a four-year i'm not 100 sure on that i was like this you could tell it had potential right like i was just like oh this has actually got some flavor for young so my problem with a lot of the young stuff is just taste it feels watered down to me you know it just okay. hasn't got there, but at the same time, I don't know what Elijah Craig's. Uh, and you like you like uh, rye, right? I like, yep, I do like rye. Um, you know, I never, I've never really crossed into the Scotch stuff because I'm not a big, I'm not big on the peat. You know, the, like the peatiness. Yeah, not all, not all Scotches have peat. In yeah, um, so there's a few I do like, but um, but like if I had to say there's an everyday just fantastic bourbon, I mean, you take an Elijah Craig all day long, so I don't even know what age that is. So I, it's something in that in that range of that category. Um, All that. right, so I'm going to take you down. We're gonna get, we're gonna talk about a product here called it's a Leopold Brothers. They're out of Colorado. Okay. Uh, this is a three chambered steel, which is an um, it's a kind of an extinct extinct steel. Okay. You know, like when you go to MGP, they have a big giant column, right? Correct. It's big up there. The three chamber still is less uh, less efficient than that. Okay. And this is a this is a bottle and bond product. It's five years old. It is a, it is a rye whiskey, so we're not having bourbon here. Yep. We're having rye, and you're going to be tasting what'll be really. Thank you, sir. You're gonna really taste the grain in that. You're gonna taste oh, a lot yeah. of oils in it. But this still is a very uh it get it extracts a lot more out of it, but they don't make a lot of money off of it because it's not as efficient. They literally brought this style of a still back. Hey, for five years, you can already just smell the yeah. I mean you yeah. can just the rye on that is is 
is fantastic. Yeah, you can smell the yeah the oil in the summit. I, I like the simplicity of it too, right? I think so many times people get too they try to disguise everything with their with their packaging labeling. This is what are your thoughts on the bottle and bond? Well, it's a historic. Theories. I know, I, yeah, it's historic. It's important. Uh, it's hard to create because because of the amount of uh, amount of restrictions on it. So, from anyone's perspective of um, of making whiskey, I think it's a money loser. You know, because you're you're so restricted. But from a consumer. Mm. It gives me a guarantee of what it is, yeah. and there's so many shenanigans, so much bullshit uh, surrounding uh, surrounding uh, whiskey that uh, I like. I like guarantees. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. That is actually fantastic for a five year old. It's great, right? Fantastic. So one of the one of the things that uh, is, is, is it the sorry to interrupt is it, is yeah. it the oil of it that it almost gives it a thicker yes kinda, absolutely kind of like feel the way the way this still makes whiskey is that it extracts it it cooks it goes slower so it's able to extract more more oil more lipids and and that carries through and with the uh, the aging process oh, extracts is- also all the vanillin. And yeah. wood sugars from the barrel, and it's just that is fantastic. See, right then, I just learned something. Yeah, it's a completely, and that I was looking for something that would be off profile, out of the world, but also good. And not to say, I mean, there's there's reasons that like you know, Pappy has the name it has, obviously, right? Because it's pretty dang good. Well, uh, I, I from what I hear, once uh, upon a time, uh, th- this past year's like I thought this past year's was awful. Okay. Well, I mean, anything that gets commercialized, right? Usually yeah. tends, to, tends well, to go down. No, well, they they've typically they've been pretty good in the past uh, decade. They just last year's batch was. So is is bourbon a lot like wine too? Though you know, does does the crop yields? Is it does the crop year have anything to do with that? Or because of the distilling process, um, do you get to kind of you you can get um, more consistency through your through you, year you, to year. You can get more consistency, but these warehouses will have uh, various. Um, they have various ebb and flows and you know certain barrels taste better than others and and, it, and a lot of it comes down to the blending of it and I, I frankly when it comes to blending 15 20 23 year old whiskey i mean you're kind of as good as the measure of your parts yeah. and and there's not i'm also someone who's very sensitive to oak i'm okay. not a fan of oak and so like i I dismiss a lot of the uh, peop- a lot of characteristics that people like in uh, some of the pappies because they they find it to be they like an oak note whereas like yeah. I like oak fine but when oak is the dominant thing all I can taste is like a tree and then I get a little caramel underneath which was the case with this year's twenty three year um, you know that's not going to do it for me yeah so and it's all each tone type deal right absolutely. I think, that's, I think that's what's fun about spirits, right? It's everybody's got to be. I didn't know we'll talk about something delicious. I got to just taste the new uh, the new stag that came out. Oh yeah, oh, that was my. number six on my top one hundred. Goodness, 
And I think, what is it, like Oh, the, the, the BTAC? The BTAC stag yeah. or the stag junior? No, the BTAC. Oh, yeah. That was, that came in third of my, yeah, that was yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was like 136 proof or something yeah. like that, right? Great. I tasted that about a week or so ago, and that was fantastic. Um, there's an Eagle Rare. There's an Eagle Rare 10 that's a high proof. I believe it's a 10-year Eagle Rare. That was I was just, I was actually blown away with how smooth that was, but yeah, I think that's the cool part about it, right? It's, it's finding that line, those, those lanes that you like, yeah. Uh, because, like you said, not everybody likes ride, not everybody likes, right? A, 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 you know, um, I do, I do get, I do get a good kick out of when when people taste the bourbon, like, oh yeah, it's, definitely get corn, and you're like, well, you should. It's fifty one, <laughs> it's at least fifty one percent corn. Um, so I, I I do like to mess with people depending on who who I'm tasting with is is you know see if you can't get people down that uh that fake rabbit hole of what notes they're actually seeing. Um, I'm a big fan of going out and like googling all the test you know tasting notes that different people say on a on a brand before I get it see if I can see it. Just because I know myself, I'll fall into that line too. I remember we were in Napa one year and and you know, we had friends that were in a winery out there and so we're doing all this tasting and I'm like they're like oh you get the pepper I'm like oh totally yeah I totally get all this. So my wife was like, you are so full of crap, dude, right? <laughs> so she's like, close your eyes. I was like, I can pick any one of these. So I close my eyes. She you knows she's going to shuffle them. This one's this one, this one, this one. Completely, <laughs> completely <laughs> wrong. I was like, oh, did you switch it? She goes, I didn't even switch them up. <laughs> I was like, so full of crap. <laughs> but uh, but that's the cool part about, about the spirits, right? The whole world. It, it's, it's subjective to what your personal palate is. So when early in my career, my wife, my wife was with me. She used to get to travel with me before we had kids. We were we were in cognac and we were helping uh, them design the perfect glass for for cognac or choose the perfect glass for cognac. And we came out of that. We were smelling our water. I mean, we had to we had to smell like 5000 different trials. And it was it was insane. But you get, you know, you get into the trade of yeah. of of wine or 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 brandy. Bourbon is is a lot less. It's a lot less that way. And I'm the guy I, I usually, you know, I wear ascots. Right. So like, I mean, you know, but I wear that almost ironically. And, you know, the whole thing is like bourbon is more approachable. Yep usually than wine and a lot of other a lot of other spirits but uh when you get in the room with some of these people who are professional tasters some I would you know who, who are colleagues I mean I'm a, I'm a professional taster so I I fall down that down that uh that world sometimes but man you 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 get away from it when you're in the group and it's just like like what the fuck are we doing you know it's like <laughs> this is ridiculous but at the same time you know it's awesome. Oh yeah, I, I think I think it's great because, like I said, I don't. My I think I drink too much coffee to have uh, an in-depth palate. But uh, oh no, coffee helps you. Oh okay, well there we go. Maybe maybe that's so why. you you had said you don't really like scotch. Well, I'm gonna behind yeah, blow my you, blow my mind. Yeah, blow my mind here. Behind you, on the lower shelf, right over your left shoulder, you should see you'll you'll see you'll see a small little bottle. It says 80. It's in between the one that says Pappy. You're going to see. Look Up or down? Uh, right, right where your hand is. Okay. So on the far right, you're going to see a box. Yep. yep. All right. So that right there uh, in between that, right there, that one. It's, little, it's a cute little guy. I'm going to grab us two glasses. Okay. 
That's 80-year-old scotch. Oh, goodness. We're going to find out. Is that from like, uh, what about the company? Wasn't it uh, Lost Distilleries? Oh, Lost Spirits. Lost Spirits. Did yeah. they go out and they found like 80, 50, 100-year-old? Yeah. That's yeah. It's not that. Okay. So uh, for those just listening to this and not seeing it on, on camera, uh, you've seen my office before at some point. You know it's tiny. Well, Jared comes in and he's he's just uh, he's just shy from hitting the ceiling, and uh, he's wearing this old school nineteen seventies coat. I mean, what's that thing? Is that thing made of mink and? Uh, no, gosh, no. This is literally uh, like like sheep's wool, like the hide and everything. Yeah, you that was that's like two inches of sheep's wool. Yeah, it's uh, my wife had it when I was in Minnesota. I got it for a Christmas present. She had it. It's handmade from a lady up in the. Uh, the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, and wow. uh, unfortunately, I don't get a you know chance to wear it. We had this ice storm last night, yeah. So I got the chance to wear it today, and I figured, you know, what better way to, you know, fully. I mean, you you've been rocking it this whole time until this moment. Right? Yeah, I got starting to get a little hot. Yeah, it's starting <laughs> to get a little hot. I was didn't want to pass out on camera, you know. So uh, we'll we'll bring it back. It, see, it works as a blanket as well, so we can kind of uh, there you we go. Kind of we kind of double up on it. All right, so here, uh, this is an eighty-year-old Glenn Livet. I feel okay. like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worthy for this. That's well, I feel like you know. you know. Hey, well, yeah, now yeah. I better get into the Hall of you're, Fame. Can you're, we, you're now in the, so I better get. I they better let me in because we're wasting the good stuff on me. I would tell you that if you got the call right now, and we found out you were in the Hall of Fame. There's a lot of stuff we could open in here. Yeah. This probably would not have been on the list. Oh, really? Okay. Only, only because you, I know you're not a Scotch guy. Well, but I mean, you might but, you might blow my mind here. I might be, I but might I be haven't wrong. had this either. And like they oh. sent this to me like two years ago, I think, and I've been looking for an excuse to to taste it. Well, let's do it. And and you were like, you oh, know, I don't really like scotch. So I'll give you my scotch story, right? So um, someone bought me again back back before I even get, went down the rabbit hole of what was good and what wasn't. You know, I went with the uh, the branding market. So I got a bottle of. Um, Blue Label, right? Johnny Walker Blue Label given to me, um, and I some some poured me a shot of it or whatever, and I took it, and it was like the trampoline effect. I was just like, oh my gosh, it's the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. Gave the bottle away. I was like, nope, never again, not doing it. Then, so I was like, I'm not a Scotch guy, obviously, not going down that road. So. Now I'm in Minnesota. I was back when I was in Kansas City. I'm in Minnesota, and my neighbor for the holidays one day brings me over a bottle of Blue Label, and it literally was just like, "Thank you, but that stuff is terrible." And my wife was like, "You're the rudest sob ever. Like, why? Just say thank you. Just say thank you. Put it at the bar. You don't have to be honest with them." And that was my. Uh, that was really much. That, that turned me off from Scotch. I, you know, I've had. I think I've had a Macallan here and there, which you know I didn't hate. But uh, I just never got back down that road. Now I know people that absolutely love it. I guess I don't truly understand it either. I know I know what makes a scotch, but I don't understand why some are peaty, some are not. What the flavor yeah, profile so, for purposes of that are. So a, a couple things. Scotch is what we know today as scotch is a is single malt, but really the tradition of scotch are blends. Okay, and. The blending agent uh, that would have peat would usually come from Isla, which now has represented by several distilleries in like Lafroig and a, and, a, and a couple others. Um, and um, you know those peat bogs, they they use that 
to to essentially you know smoke the the barley okay and so that's the kind of their their process of malting ah okay so that's where that comes from and is that only in certain regions uh well the the amount of uh peat used yes in the in the single malt side like there there are some that are not peaty um there are some that are more so than others you know and glenlivet is a really nice kind of you know neutral um level one and this one is 80 years old that smells and what are you even getting out of a barrel at 80 year you're getting a couple spoonfuls (laughs) <laughs> well, think about this. Uh, they're using used barrels. True. So they're, okay. They're in they're in a different uh, climate. climate, so you're not getting the same kind of evaporation. Evaporation, and they can rotate however they need. Wow. All right. So that's my standard. 80-year scotch. That's the standard now. (laughs) That's my baseline. Well played, sir. Well played. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that 60-year? Oh, I only drink 80 plus. Oh, that is good. I don't even know how to describe the, the, the initial, like, it's just like freshness on your palate at first. I don't even know how to describe that. Like, it actually... Progressively gets better, like more flavor as you go back. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta have some time with it. But this is also like you know, when about, I think this was a, I recall this was a hundred and twenty thousand dollar bottle. Oh my goodness! And this is this is the sample size I get. You know, most you know yeah. you get like full bottles or larger ones, but they sent me this, and I know they were probably like, um, yeah, you haven't reviewed that yet, so. <laughs> Well, we're doing it now, and I'm like, well, congratulations! You, know. you get you get a first timer. Well, review. that's that's how it is. All these all these people uh, <laughs> send me samples, and and um, uh, it's my job, right? Yeah. It's kind of like a sports reporter getting to go to all the games, and and you know, y- you see this place, I lose shit all the time, and I happen <laughs> to see when I was setting up your chair, which by the way, that took some work. I had to push a bunch of yeah. wires out of the way. And know? I apologize for the squeakiness on camera. It just, I, I don't know if you could actually hear that with that okay. mic. Yeah. Okay. But good. yeah, the, the chair needed some, that WD-40. I'm like rocking back and forth. Yeah. yeah it, it needed some WD 40, but it's all good. But when I, around. when I was like putting your chair up, I was like, Oh shit, that's where that 80 year old went. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is just, I don't know that I would misplace an 80 year old. sample <laughs> of scotch. Yeah. I, how do you even describe? I, I don't even know how to describe. Like I, because I, I'm not good at describing um, notes. That's why I say I don't have a good palate. But like, I mean, I don't know. Like you get a little. I feel like I feel like I get a little sweetness, but then it turns so, into, it turns into this like almost a savory. This flavor. has I don't even know how to, this has a lot of this has a lot of layers to it. Yeah, and it's almost too like I I would almost. This this I feel like we should be like in a quiet room for at least a good five, ten minutes and just kind of being one with it. But, you know, going down the path of smelling this and then tasting it, there are so many levels of different types of apricot flavors in it for me. Okay, that that, make, that make, makes sense. Yeah. There's so much going on. I get on like here. a light. I get like a light smoke on my nose. I mean, am I am I making that up? No, no. 
like when I first started smelling, I was like, you know, how you smell like a campfire in the distance. Yeah. I was like, it kind of just kind of brings me to, it, it's something about this brings me outdoor, like an outdoor feeling. You know what I mean? I'm like a little campfire note. I was not, I guess for me, I wasn't even, I wasn't, I don't think I had an expectation. And so to be like really, really blown took away you to, with, took you to another level. Yeah. To really be blown away with, uh, and how it starts so soft and it just kind of like it gets more intense as you, as you swallow. There's a black licorice note in this as well. But this is, this has got a lot of, it's, it's very complex. Um, if I'm to break it down, it's got some brininess to it. It's got, to me, it's got a lot, a lot of layers of uh, fruit. Um, I would, I would start with the apricot, like dried apricot, apricot jelly. The, there's, there's a lot of apricot in this for me. There's, um, there's some fig, there's some like, did you ever chew on, uh, when you were out on the ranch, did you ever chew on uh, alfalfa? Oh yeah, you, you get a little kind of alfalfa, kind of like uh, yeah, I, that there. that I definitely. I, I, you say that that makes sense to me. It's got it, so it's got like this quality to it that yeah, like a fresh, like a fresh hay, like you know, what yeah. I mean? like, maybe that's what I mean by like it just it just feels outdoors. It's like it's not that piney, you yeah. know. It's like a fresh, almost like yeah, like a. For me, like you've never been on the radio. There's something about when you want to feel this freshly cut of hay that you can just exactly that you get you like you just know, yeah. That that smell. And by the way, that's a workout, you know, hauling hay. Holy shit. <laughs> I remember having to haul hay, you know, five uh, and six bells high. We used to get them off the squeeze when we first moved from uh Northern California, Eureka, California, down to uh Central California, like San Jose, San Martin. My dad, we lived in a place where my dad's friend and we were training out of uh the hay company and so we'd get the big squeezes and that's how we we just used to buck hay onto the back on and off semis and uh filling up barns and uh, i'd come home from the summer that's half the time loading the hay loading the hay shed and loading the hay shed was uh, getting those hands strong oh yeah i actually have a scar in my hand uh from a hay hook i put into my head had a loose handle um and it just never flicks it you just and i Went to grab a bale and I was goodness, I was like first kindergarten, first grade. Just missed it and it went straight into my head. Bleeding like, all over the place. Did you like stuck? Like how yeah, did you probably a good eighth of an inch, you know, into my dome. So uh -huh. enough that I didn't, you know, we, we toughed it out at those ages. But enough to lay down and, and rub be dirt monitored. in it, right? <laughs> be monitored. But yeah, I just I have a, I have, a, I have a scar on my head from a, from a hay hook I put into it. And I bet you this changes too, if we let it open up a little bit, give it a little bit more time. Yeah. Wow. But so that's uh, did that win you over for scotch? I'm in. I am in. Any 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 of my buddies who try to be all like, oh, I got this, you know, ten year Macallan or whatever. I'm just gonna be like, mm. <laughs> you got, sir. What can I get you? Uh, do you have an eighty year? Do you, Levitt, please. do you have any 80 year Glenn Levitt? That's <laughs> well, all I have. That's all I ask. That's my standard. So, see, 
this is one of those occasions you don't know until you know. And so now I didn't drink scotch before because it wasn't really, eh, not my thing. Now I'm ruined because if that if that's not what I'm well, getting. Well, hold on now. now hold on now. We, might, we <laughs> might find something else here. It's like, it's like, you know, nobody nobody wants a skirt steak when you can have a full right. egg. Oh, that's the truth. But if you grew up on skirt steak, you think yeah. steak's bomb. I mean, you know, if you, you got a good know. chimichurri. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. We make our carne asada with it, but still. All right, so now- the challenge is to find another. Well, I'm glad um, you tasted mine first, by the way, too. <laughs> but it's different, <laughs> it, you it know. Totally it's different. different. Like totally I would different. never, I would never, I would never compare that 80 year Scotch to um, a bourbon unless yeah. it was like in the finals, and I had to choose whiskey like best year, yeah. best whiskey, which happens, right? Um, let's see. It is it is funny the smell the first two we tried, right? The mine and then the. Uh, Mm-hmm. What is this? The uh, Leopold Brothers. Leopold Brothers. Yeah. Like, I guess if you just smell them against each other, you obviously because the, the, the rye, you know, is high, but this was pure rye. You get some of the similar notes and you can just, but you can smell how the wheat softens this one out, right? That is a true statement. The wheat, wheat does soften up uh, whiskey, especially at that age. I think that's the whole, I think that's what I like the most about, uh, you know, even wines and, and, you know, spirits and it's like neutral spirits like vodkas and stuff like that you kind of just right it is what it is i mean you really even though the mash bills might be similar but the way you blend and age things really can change the profile of thousand percent of everything and, i think that's the fun scientific nerd part of it i really like and you know w- one of the big things too is like how long it's it's in a batch together when it's blended because yep. it'll change yeah while it's kind of like getting stuck together. like when you first blend some and taste it by the time you guys bottle it, it'll be totally different. Yeah. I because, like, it's not bonded all the way. Yeah, that's the, that's the fun experience of it, I think. It's crazy, but it, it'll change it. You want to taste one more? Yeah. You want to stay You want to stay in whiskey? You want to go into rum? Ooh, I've never I've never made that journey to rum. Okay. I've never I've never gone. So that's that's the, probably one of the spirits. I've just never ventured ventured down well, i'll get you uh, after I'll college get you you know, on, uh, I mean, after after college and drinking captain and diets for so long so just- <laughs> so look, 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 we can talk a little bit about rum and um how it is completely bastardized by captain morgan and um Jerry, mccarty and, and jerry's well jerry sailors, sailors. Jerry yeah sailors. <laughs> yeah so those those rums are made um, in countries or re- you know territories that are subsidized by us. Okay. Now, are rums like tequila, where they have to be made in a? No, they, they can't. They can be made in the United yeah, States. I, I would say it's com- complete opposite. Like rum, rum is defined differently throughout the world. Okay, um, and it's it's frustrating. What is your take to to come on different topics here? Is of the uh, like the gin, like you, you kind of hear about the gin movement coming back, mm. but then I don't. I mean, I feel like gin is just kind of a piney vodka. You know, in or is some there a cases, in, making that? in some cases it is, okay. uh, but in others it's actually, you know, really good. There's a lot of uh, there's a there's a lot of craft that goes into it. You know, you distill it in MGP. They they make they have a really good. You know, gin still with a gin basket and everything. Yeah, I just I didn't know if the, the depths with those, like you know, how do you tell a good gin from a bad gin versus one gives you a hangover and one doesn't? 
The best note that I can give you is a smell of B.O. Okay. Like you can't, like if you can smell like some kind, if you can smell an undercurrent of like B.O. or funk, I mean, brother, you, you are probably in the cesspool of the most disgusting place (laughs) in, in the human, the known human environment. And that's the NFL locker room. I mean, actual bacterias yes. were growing in there <laughs> that they didn't even have an answer to. And I remember when that was going on, like, they were like, yeah, we don't exactly know why, but so-and-so might lose his leg this yeah, week. Yeah, MRSA, dude. MRSA will go through quick, bro. I mean, people are nasty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you all are especially nasty. That's what I'm saying, yeah. So you're saying B.O. If you smell like B.O., avoid it. If you smell B.O., like, there, you know, some people would define it as a funk. Kind of under, but in gin, if you smell bo, don't drink it. Like that's hangover. Soup. So it's, it's like it's like uh, it's like meat. The nose knows, right? Yes. They say the nose knows. Yes. But if it smells funky, put and it also down. like meat, it can be slimy. You know. Oh, yeah. You know. So yeah. it really knows then. The nose knows. Okay, that's good to know. But now, take me down this room journey. I'm okay. So we got a couple. We got a couple really great rums right above you there. The Chairman's right. Reserve, uh, that two thousand right there at oh, the very top, right here, very top, okay, very top, go. right there in the middle. Oh, right here, I got it. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a great rum. Okay. Um, now, how how is rum aged, and how is rum? Is it are they made so like steel carboys or is it barrels? Is made, let's start from the beginning of rum. Rum is made comes from. Rum comes from uh, uh, molasses or sugarcane, fresh squeezed sugarcane juice, depending on the so region. Is that why it's more of a tropical drink? Yeah, that's okay. it's more it's it's made in the Caribbean. It's historically yeah. made in the Caribbean, also in the Northeast. Uh, our country was actually originally a rum centric country. Okay, but when we became our own entity, we wanted to get away from rum. Because all the molasses, which is a byproduct of making sugar, yeah. was coming from the West Indies, and the French and the English owned the West Indies, and so there was this effort to kind of get away from from doing anything that would encourage our enemies, and so we started moving to whiskey. But we were originally a rum country. Oh, good enough. Um, and um, and rum is is the premium drink of the 1700s the english lose control of us and other parts of the world and it begins to lose you know its luster and you know the the way for whiskey is paved in the distilled spirits world but rum is really some of the greatest spirit in the world is rum so that's one of them i'm gonna go grab i'm gonna look for another bottle um it's a i think it's actually behind the door Got here. Uh, look for a bottle that says four square. There we go. Right there at the top. Right, right top. 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 Uh, top right. It says four square. It's in a really bad looking computer jet label. Yeah. Right. Oh, that was the name of my first boat I bought. Really? <laughs> yep. Doc Holiday's favorite whiskey. I actually have a bottle of Old Overhaul. I don't. I literally don't know how old it is. I've been told it could be twenty plus, thirty, forty years old. 
that we found, we were clearing out an old bar when we were opening up our restaurant. We were going yeah. through and, and getting a, a kitchen equipment out. Mm -hmm. And we literally found this old, dusty, yellowed out labeled bottle of old, old overhaul. And I still have it uh, at the house, although. Well, send me photos. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll date it for you. Yeah, I will. And uh, it might not. I appreciate it. I have, to, I have to hide, you know, I have certain friends that come over that don't know anything about booze and they just, you know, they'll grab the first thing they see and mix it with something. Right. That was, that one got a uh, parsing fatality to that one. To yeah, some of those as, people. as I had it to hide should. That one. I'm going to grab two other glasses. <laughs> I had to hide that one. I just, I, I just like the way it looks. I don't even drink it. They could, they could make a, uh, an air freshener out of that 80 year old yes. and I'd buy it. I mean, that's not something you hear every day. Is if I said the word if I said ash, yeah, in the best way possible. Would that uh -huh. would that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, out here in Kentucky, we'd be thinking coal ash. <laughs> no, I, no, like that's just it, almost like wow. My mind so is getting blown So you're looking at two authentic real rums, okay. uh, and I that's say that because. There's a lot of brands that dump literally br dump sugar oh. into uh, into the before they bottle. But real rum is next level shit. Which one are you going with first? Uh, I'm starting with the uh, Chairman's Reserve. Chairman's Reserve. Okay. Yeah. You smell that that fresh molasses there. Kind of think of like opening up a jar of. Um, of sorghum yeah. or molasses that you would get from a store. They don't do a lot of molasses out here in the States, but they do in other parts of the world. It's kind of a common sweetener. We used to have molasses uh, licks for the cattle. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think about all those old uh, uh, the sweet feeds and stuff. Yep. That was all kind of put binded by uh, molasses. I don't get to really talk to many people that grew up around that stuff. Oh yeah. So it's uh it's fun. Yeah, versus oats versus your, you know, your corn, yeah, your corn grain feeds. That's nice. So this what you're used to is in Captain Morgan is basically sugared up. Yeah. It's more it's it's the the spirit. Oh, this is fantastic, right? Because that's always my problem with rum. It's overly sweet, right? Yeah, and you're just kind of like it's just too much for me. Um, I just never got into because I was never I've never been a big rum and coke guy. I've never been a big you know over the. I mean, who doesn't like a mai tai, right? But right. Uh, this is I mean, you would drink this neat like just. Gosh, my liquor cabinet's gonna have to get bigger. <laughs> I can send you home with some stuff too. Oh my goodness. I'll send you home with some really good rum. That is fantastic. Rum rum gets misunderstood because huh. uh, and I was kind of getting at this earlier because there's all these subsidies that go into uh to making rum in yeah. uh in St. Croix and uh Puerto Rico and that's from our government, our taxpayers. Okay. But we also we also give them we give uh we give the St. Croix 
billions of dollars to operate. So Captain Morgan, they actually don't have any production costs or whatever production costs they have are minimal because our government is paying for it <laughs> because that's their way of like keeping, you know, keeping yeah. that stability there, which, you know, more power to them. But that being said, Captain Morgan has zero uh, cost and they have all this marketing money. And so, like, if you are Chairman's Reserve, St. Lucian Distillers, yeah. you cannot compete against that. Yeah. You know, because um, Captain Morgan's going into liquor stores via their distributors and saying, like, hey, we would like to have that front-facing aisle. Yeah. And the liquor store's like, well, that's a fine $100,000 check there. I'm like, oh, well, no problem. And they scoot that check on over there, and yeah. boom, Captain Morgan right there. Well, that, when's the last time you heard anybody drinking Captain Morgan neat? <laughs> that's, that's I don't how, think I've ever heard that. That's, what I, that's how I measure my stuff, right? So I think, I mean, it's funny you say that because, so, I mean, it's literally almost similar market type shares. You know, I, I joke about it. I always tell people, I'm like, the bourbon world is, or even spirits in general, right? If people are going to go, you're, you know, they just want to shoot it, right? Right. You have people that want to, you know, something decent to mix, shooter mix, and then, you know, people that want to put it on the rocks and have something decent to drink. Mm -hmm. Or then, you know, people that are going to sit and really, you know, take it neat and, and dissect it. And there's these three little layers almost of, of, of drinkers. And uh, uh, what's so how, so it, I'm, I'm assuming it's aged in an oak barrel. They're actually mostly aged in used bourbon barrels. Used, that's what I was going to say. It has to be a bourbon connection because when I'm tasting, I'm like, yeah. I'm smelling, I'm like, this, this is a very similar feel to you know some of those sweeter weeded bourbons yeah yeah they'll use uh, uh use bourbon barrels in fact foursquare we're going to next they'll put on their label what they use um and so this is um so this is entirely used bourbon but what foursquare will do and this is the foursquare no nobiliary um and you know for those who want to get geeky with it Rum producers will also make distillate of pot, like a pot still distillate and a column still distillate, and they'll okay. blend those together oh, and wow. age them or age them separately and blend them together later. What's the standard age for a rum? Oh, standard uh, for sipping rum, four or six years. Okay. This is, uh, this one is um, 14 years, what we're about to sip. And the other one came from 2009, and I got that in 2021. So that would be 12, 12 years. years yeah. So, so these are these are elites, you know. So this yeah. would be these would be Pro Bowlers, you know. Yeah. Which, by the way, so how, do you, how do you feel about the Pro Bowl going to a flag football game? Gosh, it's it's the it's the evolution of the NFL. Can't hit anybody anymore. Can't you know what I mean? There's just there's just no the Pro Bowl started changing. I think probably I noticed around like maybe my third or fifth, third or fourth one where I remember I remember where we were. We were in Hawaii somewhere one year. It was maybe my thing was my third one, and it literally was the sixth alternate was was on board. I remember me and Kyle Vanderbosch one year were laughing because I, mean, he, I think he was like the first or second alternate. He had three sacks one year and made the Pro Bowl. He was like. I don't know how I got here. Um, it, I think, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's, it's, it's look where the local league is, you know, everything, everything, people are specialized now, right? You have, you have pass rushers, you have people that are supposed to this, those four down players don't really exist anymore. You know, they're very, very rare. And, uh, 
you know, just the way the league is transitioning to these stupid roughing the passer calls, which is absolutely nonsense, right? Everything is ticky tacky these days. Um, uh, and so it doesn't surprise me. I mean, the Pro Bowl has been a joke again, probably the last 10 years, right? Um, I remember my first one we went to, you know, towards the end of the year, guys, retired to that fourth quarter. We got after it because we were looking to pay for uh, all of our idiot friends that were drinking on our tabs you know, all, all weekend and our families. We needed that extra 15000 in the check. Um, but, but yeah, so it doesn't surprise me it's going to, uh, to flag football. But the, way I, the problem with it is, is now, too, is ever since they moved it to before the Super Bowl, when it was after the Super Bowl, it still made it a prestigious thing, right? Right. So when it went to before, you're like, well, all these players now don't get an opportunity. You're basically telling them that it's not important. Right. right. So now you have all these guaranteed alternates that get to get in. I can remember back then it was rare when an alternate got in, right? Because someone had to, you know, was hurt or didn't go. Um, I mean, I remember I postponed shoulder surgery to go to the Pro Bowl, right? Because it was an honor to get to get voted in by your peers and 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 the fans and stuff. So I just think when they made that model shift and all these alternates are getting in, now everybody elects to, you know, they don't want to go out. You still get the recognition, you don't have to do anything about it. And now, and now it's a skills competition and flag football. And it's just like, you know, hopefully that's not a, a foreshadowing of where the league is going, right? And the next thing you know, you're going to have to be able to just touch the quarterback. I mean, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, my joke in, around my family is it's like roughing the cuticle. <laughs> you know, yeah. everybody is, um, you know, subject to, to a flag for breathing on a quarterback. Wrong. And the other thing is, is like the quarterbacks are flopping. Oh, yeah. They're, they're flopping. Like Patrick Mahomes did that um, against uh, Cincinnati. Like he's like right on the white line, right? When he gets pushed out and they get that, uh, I think Osai was the guy that pushed yeah. him out. And like he wails up, throws his, the ball over, and he's like, he's acting. It's like he's LeBron James. Starting getting, you're starting into the flop rule in the NBA. Yeah. And, and even like, you know, you know, and that's the thing is like, why the quarterbacks have a helmet on? If, if you're going to put your hand up block pad or you're going to reach for him and you touch his helmet or face mask, like, I think what the league needs to go to is intent, right? It was it a malicious intent. If it's not a malicious intent, then you really need to look at that and say, okay, it's almost, and it's also like illegal contact away from the play. Like when they call illegal contact on a DB when the ball is thrown to the complete other side, right? Of the thing, like that had no bearing on the play, had no bearing on anything, right? Um, unless he grabs him and throws him down. I mean, come on. So I, I think I think they need to start looking at intent and they need to start looking at how it impacted the play um, and, and and make judgment calls based on that because, I mean, games are won and lost by that. I mean, they, you know, that one, I'll give them that because that kid shouldn't have been anywhere near the quarterback going out of bounds. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they, they blatantly missed the block in the back <laughs> on the punt return that set that whole thing up, right? So that that's kind of what you got to say, you know, when that kind of stuff happens, you allow conspiracy theorists to jump in and say, you know, oh, things, they're rampant right yeah, now. Yeah, things are rigged, and you know they didn't yeah. want Cincinnati to be there in the first place. So I, I just think they really need to look at intent. Um, and obviously, it's human, but it's it's just funny how certain things will get called in from New York, right? It's for for a penalty, and certain things won't. So uh, yeah, I think they need to do a better job with some consistency. But I've always been a fan of intent. If if there's if there's intent to hurt, if there's if there's an intent, if something's unintentional and it doesn't really affect the player you know a defense line's brushing up against the quarterback's face or why does he have a helmet on that you know now you grab his face mask you throw him to the ground yeah probably <laughs> but um uh, i'm glad i don't play anymore this this type of year because uh i'd probably have you know 15 sacks and get credit for two of them because they don't be penalties <laughs> <laughs>
Now you 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 were a chief. You were a Viking. Uh, you were a Panther. Yeah. When when you when you go into the hall, because it's going to happen, I believe it's going to happen this year. When you go in the Hall of Fame, what uh, what team are you going to represent? It'll be the Vikings. That's where I mean, I wouldn't. I would go in as as either you know Chief and Vikings, but uh, Vikings is where I obviously spent the bulk of my career, um, and it's it's the place where you know I really not just as a, as a as a player, you know, because obviously I was playing great in Kansas City, but as a human being, as a man, I really mature. I really feel like my life, you know, happened in, in yeah. Minnesota. I took a lot of the life lessons I learned from uh, Kansas City and, you know, I didn't meet my wife in Minnesota, obviously, but, uh, you know, I, was, I got married out there. You know, I had my first child. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our second child when, you know, when we left. And, you know, we have so many great friends and, and the organization believed in me. You know, I, I never had any plans on leaving Kansas City. Um, but you know, after getting in trouble out there, you know, they, they didn't show the faith in me that, you know, Minnesota truly believed, you know, we know we sat and talked to them, like, listen, I was immature, this, that, and the other, let me show you, you know, let me show you how I'm different. Um, and, and they believed in me and that was, and that was something I was looking for. Uh, I'm a meat stick. Right. So it's like, you know, it's, it's I, I've never played just for the paycheck. I, you know, I, I like, I want to play for a purpose. You know, when I went, I got drafted by Kansas city and coach Ramil was there. I, people always ask, how does it play for coach Ramil? I was like, the weirdest thing like this this was the only man i ever met that could get other grown men to run through a brick wall time and time and time and time again because you knew he'd take care of you right you felt like you were playing for something greater herm was great at that brad childers i mean all my coaches have been really great at that and and that's right so minnesota for me that's where i'll go in as uh, that's why i retired a viking because i just feel like that in my career, I mean, in my family, I, you know, obviously they gave me my contract that, you know, at the time was, it was the highest in NFL history for a defensive player. Um, but they put so much faith and trust in me and all the way to the end, our relationship stayed amazing. You know, Rick and I had open dialogue all the way to the end about me going to free agency. So uh, I have a lot of respect for that organization, uh, a lot of respect for that city. And uh, I just feel like that's where I kind of, kind of be- helped me become who I am today. What happened to Brad Childers? Like, I felt like I, I thought he had like um, an incredible. I thought he was a great coach there. Brad but, was fantastic, but he didn't get in. He he never got another shot. Brad was fantastic. Uh, obviously, you know, Brad's problem was that, you know, to be honest, clash of egos, right? Um, I, I love Brad to death. Still talk to him today. Him and Brad had a clash of egos, and you know. You know, come 2010, you know, it's like everything. I always tell people when you're winning, a lot of stuff gets swept right, under the rug, right? right? Um, you know, Brad Brad had a hard time sitting back and letting Brett take credit for all the wins. And Brett didn't want to listen to a word Brett Childress had to say. Um, so they kind of clashed. Um, but, you know, you go into 2010 and, and here we are, you know, again, Brad did take, he took a, he took a, he got a bad rap because, I mean, he still had a fantastic record. You know, you look at the turnaround he did with the organization, brought us the back-to-back, you know, championships, take us to an NFC title. Um, and then injury plagued us in 2010, right? Uh, Brett gets hurt. Then there's the scandal. I mean, defensively, we were gutted. I mean, we were down to like our four-string cornerbacks, right? Um, and so, you know, if they make the trade for Randy, that doesn't work out. So I just think there was one of those domino effects where things were – I think the ownership saw things unraveling. And enough people had the right ear that they just knew they had to, they had to make a, make a split. <clears throat> um, and I mean, let's be honest. I mean, 
Brett retires at the we kind of lost we kind of lost them all, right? Brett right. Brett retired, Brad goes on his way. Um but no, Brad was a fantastic coach. But he never became a head coach again, right? He didn't. No, he worked. He went to Kansas City, right? He was a uh, you know office coordinator, consulting there. He did some consulting with the Bears. I don't think he ever wanted to. Um, you know, he kind of came out. And he was doing some some stuff with. Uh, um, oh, what was the name of that? I don't even remember the name of the league now. Um, one of the startup spring leagues, right? And, yeah, there's been several. Yeah, and so um, so I think you know, but. But yeah, Brad. I think Brad was ready to after the, after that stint just to be yeah. done. I mean, I mean, it it takes a lot. It's like the type of coach he is. You know, he's he's very detail oriented. Yeah. Um, Brad's a very smart man. I, I I genuinely loved our conversations with him. Um, I think I'll tell. I, I give what Brad doesn't get enough credit for is he knew his he knew his role. So I a lot of head coaches they become head coaches and they forget what got them there. Right. So if you're a defensive guy, all of a sudden you want to learn offense and you want to, you know, you want to, you want to fill that void that you're missing. You kind of forget about the defensive side. Or if you're an offensive guy, sometimes you spend too much time on the defense because, you know, you want to make sure everybody knows that you're, that you're, you're, you're well versed. Right. Brad took care of the offense. Right. And he set a good workplace for us to be successful. And he let Coach Frazier lead. Right. He let Coach Frazier on the defensive side do our thing. And so, it's very rare for for a head coach to allow you know their their the people under them to work mm-hmm. right. Um, obviously, he was more hands on with the offense, but and I really appreciated about him about that. And then to have open input, open dialogue with the players, and I've always reminded Herm used to always say like, "Listen, I'm not going to treat everybody the same, but I'll treat everybody fairly." And and that's the kind of how Brad was. And there was there was a handful of players that he trusted mm-hmm. that we had his ear, and yeah. when we spoke, we could get things done. Um, and Brad also knew, he also knew when, when you needed to chill, right? He knew when we needed to ramp up and we needed to chill. He knew when he needed to back off and, and, and let the players take lead. So yeah, I, I love Brad. Uh, like I said, have a great relationship with him to this day. And, uh, but yeah, he's one of those underrated coaches in Minnesota, you know, coaching folklore that doesn't get the credit that he probably deserves, especially for riding the ship. I mean, they had some rough years before him. Oh yeah. And then we come in and look at the draft. I mean, Rick, obviously a big part of that, but I mean, you draft, you get Hutch over there. Uh, you get to bolster the offensive line. They get McKinney. They get um, Adrian. You know, um, we had we. I mean, you know, T. Jack and Gus were doing for us. Were doing good. You know, they were enough to. We were winning division championships with them, right? And then, we, and then they get you know Brett over there, and uh, we get the championship. But I mean, you look at some of the guys. You know, Sidney Rice that you know, had some great years. Uh, you know, Percy Harvin. For all the ups and downs he had, I mean, I had never had a problem with them, but what a talent. So we had, we had some talented individuals come through yeah. there, and, and and Brad did a good job of, of getting those personalities together to win. Okay. Well, that was the, that was when I became a fan. It's when I became a Vikings fan. I always thought uh, Childers never got a fair shake or another opportunity. It did. Everybody remembers the drama, right? No one yeah. remembers the good time. You're like, do we have back-to-back division titles? Uh, you know, the NFC championship loss sucked, but, um, you know, he constantly built that team up from nothing and, you know, we had a good run. I, I, I would argue if he stayed, you know, coach Frazier came in and again, we got decimated with injuries and we ended up making the playoffs in what, I think 12, but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was a different field. Brad, Brad was, Brad was a great head coach. And the infamous bounty gate was the, uh, the NFC championship game. <sighs> and now, uh, Sean Payton is with the, uh, Denver Broncos with the no poop uh, Russell Wilson. Yeah, and uh, and my guy George Payton. So my uh, you know one of my favorite um, 
people in the league well you know he was a he was an assistant kind of gm with us but george payton was with the vikings all those years with brad and uh and rick and all those guys so he's the gm down there so uh i'm actually gonna have dinner with him i think on saturday so nice. it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see how that turns around i think sean's a great coach uh it'll be interesting to see you know what he does with with russell and, and if he can write that ship because that was a that was a nightmare. Wasn't yeah, it? it was a disaster. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think anybody who likes football enjoyed watching the Broncos. No. It, oh, good. So what, what what do you feel about the the rum? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. I think, again. What was your favorite? My, um, I want to say, I want to say the chairman. Yeah. This one, I think the. Um, the four square. The four square is a little, is a little spicier. These uh, these both like they, they have such they, a great finish. They feel so good. They yeah, feel so good. So there's something on the nose on the chairman that I can't place, but it's so pleasant. It's almost like an aerosol, almost like like Aquanet, like like nostalgia. And like I know this sounds like a terrible way to from describe like the 1990s, it. Nineties, yeah. Like, uh, but yeah, I'm like like the way just the way that you know the and I know it's the alcohol. The way the alcohol kind of hits your nose palate. It just kind of, it's, I don't know, it's, some, it's something, like, I don't even say floral, because I don't even know if that's the right way to describe it, but it's just, it's soft, it's pleasant, like, I, I really, I mean, they're both fantastic. Um, like I said, I, it's just, it's, it's, it's not what it, my, my, my version of rum is, right? And, I mean, you could sip, this, this I mean, this is like a. So this is this is what is this is how rum sh- is is meant to taste and and how to be. Uh, well, I'm telling you, my versus rum just a coke. My know? rum collection is going to get. Uh, I'll send you. I'll send you home with a couple. I'm gonna. I'm actually going to have a rum collection now. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, heck, it's been. I don't even know when we started, but we're six drinks in, including an 80 year scotch, which. Thank God I found that because it may have just been sitting there for another. I gotta say, three, again, four years. standard setter. Yeah, got a little left if you want to. Or palate or palate ruiner. You want you want to see how it tastes now? You still have some left. Uh, I have this glass left. Here, kill it. See if it changed. Oh, I don't even know if I, I don't even know if, I, if I'm alive. You should be allowed to do this after drinking uh, anything. I feel like I need to go scrub my tongue. They have someone for that, you know. I figured you did. Can we get the tongue scrubber in here, please? You know, Snoop Dogg has someone rolls roll his joints. So that's when you know you've made it, right? Yeah. Like, what if you had, you had someone here that only poured you, you know, your perfect little quarter ounce draw? Yeah. Like, just, I mean, I got someone do my splash. blind tastings, you know, pour my blind, but that's nice. I'm not there yet. Like, I'm still pouring my own stuff. Yeah. What the fuck is you know, this? You're keeping, you're keeping it authentic. Yeah. I mean, bourbon, the bourbon, bourbon wouldn't allow that, right? You got to stay authentic. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's bad I mean, you're, you're pushing it with the ascot. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right, man. Oh my gosh. The change? I don't know how you change greatness. I mean, like. Yeah. The best way to describe it, it's like. There's just not. I mean, I don't even know the proof of it is, but it's just like pure silk coming. I think it's a. 
It's uh, 80, 89. But there's not a hint of, it's like full flavor. You know what I mean? There's no hints of, it just rolls on the palate. It almost soaks in, if that makes sense. That is, that is fantastic. Man. I'll tell you what it does. It's they're consistent because it brought me right back to the place when I first tried it. So yeah, yeah it's not like like oh you try you're like oh yeah that's good I remember I remember having that no it's it's equally as impressive. And now it's gone. And now it's gone. And uh, well, I'm glad that uh, I, I had wow. it to crack open with you, man. I appreciate it. I, I, pre- uh, I feel I feel lucky to be considered worthy enough for that. Oh, of course you are. Come on now. <laughs> That's a, that's a pre-celebration to your Hall of Fame. Well, now, now I have to. Now, goodness, what are we going to do when I actually get in? Then? Oh, I've got I've got a special. I got something special, more special than that. Okay, all yeah. right. Well, yeah, uh, I, I got something real. Uh, in, in in honest, all honestly, all honesty, I was like really, really anticipating when you came that you'd already know. Uh-huh. Uh, and I had I have something in mind. All right, well, let's hold it for yeah. when I do get in officially. When and if, and uh, no, there's no, there's no way. When when I get in officially, yeah. hopefully it's next week down at the Super Bowl, and we'll yeah. uh, we'll. Yeah, that's the other thing is like you're we'll gonna come to class. my my big game party because I can't mention that other thing, the yeah. other event going on there. Yeah, uh, in relation to a for profit with a little charities, you know, angle to it. Uh, but uh, I, you know, uh, you, you're gonna be there if. The curling thing doesn't happen, so tell everyone. Well, I'm so I'm in, I'm in curling. Yeah, so curling. I'm uh, I'm actually heading out to Denver. So, are you a professional curler? I am a professional curler. It doesn't take much to be a professional curler, but yes, <laughs> I'm a professional curler. Um, so, our our team qualified for nationals. So, we have nationals starting Saturday in the Denver Coliseum. I'll be there through. Well, it goes through the finals or in, on next Saturday, but um, if I make the Hall of Fame this year, I'll be there till Tuesday. Then off to Arizona on Wednesday for all the hubbub of that. And then uh, and then I'm done curling for the year until probably kick back up next September. So what's the talk is through? So I, play lead, so I play lead, which means I throw the first two stones, right? Everybody throws two stones. Uh, your first, second therapy, we rotate sweeping. So um, you really train for it by being on the ice, right? You know, it's just throwing rocks. It's kind of like, it's like golf, right? It's, it's just keeping your swing mechanics, keeping your slide mechanics, your release mechanics, obviously learning the form of how to sweep, most effective way to sweep, um, and all that stuff. And then, you know, keeping your cardio up a little bit for sweeping and whatever muscle tone that that, that involves. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so it's been a fun deal. It's it, it's some, it's totally outside my realm. Like where, you know, in football, you get to use aggression, you know, yeah. as, 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 a, as a tool, as fuel. We're there, and you know, it really your your adrenaline works against you. You really have to be able to make finesse shots, and you know, it, be in control of your heart rate and stuff like that. You know, you might sweep one end to end, and then have to come back and, and, and throw a draw weight, you know, to the button. So, you know, it's so this really, is the anti-athlete sport. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. A lot, most people on there are very, very smart. Yeah. It's like chess on ice, right? <laughs> so you just have to be athletic enough to put those rocks, those chess pieces, in the right space on ice by throwing them 140 feet down there. All right, who do you like in the uh, Super Bowl and who has the best defensive line? Oh, best defensive line. Well, goodness. I think overall has to go to Philly. Uh, I think uh, I think Chris Jones is a, is a stud. Um, oh, he is amazing. Yeah, I think Kansas he's a stud. City, of course. Yep. Um, Philly looks good. 
like Philly, Philly's beating everybody like handedly. You know what I mean? They beat who they're supposed to beat and they beat them handedly. Um, but you know, you just look at the weapons that, you know, and, and, and Mahomes and them have been in this situation before. I think that the confidence they have. Yeah. Um, but you know, right now the way Philly's playing, that is going to be a tough team to beat. It really is. I think, uh, I think they have the athletes on the defensive side to take Kelsey away for the, for the most part, um, and handle, handle that run game and Mahomes up front with, with their, with their front seven. Um, and then they got some players on offense that can just, you know, take time. So I think they have the better offensive line, to be honest with you. I think, uh, I think Philly has probably the better offensive line. And so if I had to choose right now, I just, just on paper, I'd say Philly, but again, Anytime you count Mahomes out, I mean, how many times does the guy come back from ten down, yeah, fifteen down, fourteen yeah. down to come win it, right? Um, and look what he did with the you know high ankle sprain to, to to gut that one out for the first down. So uh, I think it's gonna be a good game. If I gun to my head, I gotta say I think Philly might pull it out. Okay. Well, we'll see, man. It's gonna be a great game. Um, I was a little surprised with Cincinnati. You know, I was. So it, it was, you know, obviously. Got history with the Chiefs, so excited to see them going. But you can't not cheer for the underdog. Yeah. I kind of liked how Cincinnati was like, F, F everybody. You, you don't want us here. We're going to be here. And to be honest, I thought they I thought they should have won the game. Here's where I would say that they messed up. is In that situation, from a coaching standpoint, you cannot allow the Chiefs to get the ball back. You can talk about the missed penalties. You can talk about the do-over play, which I didn't know they had do-over plays. I'd take some do-over plays in my career if I could have them. Um but you got to look at, you know, in that situation, you only need a field goal. So you're either kicking the field goal as time runs out or you're going to overtime. At no point should you allow the Chiefs to have a chance to get the ball back. Uh, so I think they probably should have ran the ball, you know, better. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the, you know, Chris Jones came up big, you know, when he needed to in, in the He's fourth quarter there. And, you know, with, with with the sack to kind of seal it. But, you know, I would never put myself in that, in that situation. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know, use your run and pass game. You still, you had all those things. You had them with two or three timeouts still too. So, you know, I, I think there could have been some better clock management on that side because, you know, in that situation, you either win it or overtime. You never, you do not let the Chiefs have a chance to get the ball back. Yeah. Well, or, or you make them burn up all the timeouts, right? You know, maybe, uh, maybe it's time for a little uh, Jared Allen coaching action. <laughs> Problem yeah. is, they want you to have experience coaching and. uh it's a, they take a lot of they put so much time into that. It's probably not necessary or needed. Um, my kids keep me pretty busy, and but maybe maybe after this curling run, if I don't make the next Olympics, then uh, then maybe we'll we'll do something okay. like that. Well, you know, I mean, you got you've got the it, and you know, you know, more than that, you're gonna have a jacket here soon. So I hope so. Yeah. Well. Man, it's great having you back. Great having you here in person, and uh, great hanging out. And this has been fantastic. This what? is this has been uh, more than I could have ever hoped for. But I'm excited to see what you're doing in the bourbon space because I know you won't fuck around and do something stupid. Yeah, and I think that's that's what I, I hope people understand. I've been you know nervous about you know whether I was even going to say I was a part of it or not or how we're going to do it. Um, but I think for for me, it was the same way when I went to curling, right? Like. I want people to, I think people know, but whatever I do, I, I do full heartedly and I'm, I'm not going to put something, something crappy out there. And, and that's why, you know, again, when we, when we went back and how we were going to do it, I'm like, man, you get, you get too much financially invested on one side, 
then, then, then the juice suffers, right? So to be able to come up and work with MGP and have some strategic partners along the way that, that really could position us, uh, has been great. And I think the best part, it's, it's truly organic. Like what we're doing is totally organic. Like we're just like, Hey, if it, if it, if it generally tastes good and people love it and they want to buy it, great. If not, I think it's good. I'll, I'll have booze for, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, and also like you're you're a ways out. You don't have a name yet. You got you you own the barrels. You got a lot of stock. Yeah, we're just chilling. Yeah, we yeah. got we got we got you know we're we're just it's, we're in that fun space where nothing's rushed, and and we get to kind of let let the liquid lead us. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's like you know having guys like you taste it, or you know when you give it. And I like I I like having people from all different backgrounds. You know, you get you get only bourbon aficionados to taste it that that can pick it apart. You know, that can be good or bad, right? You get only people that don't know anything that's, oh, this is great. So we've gotten feedback from pretty much every demographic you can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from people that are like, 116 proof, you know, they taste it and all of a sudden they think it's going to be fire. And it's like, ah, I've never drank something that high. And then they realize like, oh crap, or, or you know, someone, hey, put it, can I put a rock, put a rock on it? See, let me know how that tastes, you know? So we've really kind of run the gamut and uh, the feedback's been good. So, but that, that to me has been the whole, the fun part, honestly, picking a name and selling it might be sad. Because yeah. <laughs> then, then well, you run out of it. I mean, if you keep it for yourself, you know, like you said, you got good Christmas gifts. So Good Christmas gifts, you know, I'll keep yeah. it in this. Uh, too bad, you know, MGP just won't let me sell it in the MGP label. <laughs> <laughs> It's so sexy. Yeah, bottom of the label. There you go. White cap and all. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming out. Um, you know, we got a we got a few more things to taste here off camera, but uh let's uh let, let's 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 plan a special uh you know Jared Allen uh celebration here for when he gets in the Hall of Fame. Done and Anyone done. who's listening or watching, you know, put in the comments or email me your favorite Jared Allen moment. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll include that in the party. Ooh, I like it. I like, like it. it. Much yeah. appreciated. Probably going to be the horse, like the riding off in the sun. I got to admit that, that was, that was epic. That was yeah. epic. And then, you know, the Vikings did it right. And they came, they called me about coming back out on a horse. I was like, yeah, let's, let's get it. They know you. Let's get- <laughs> like you said, good ownership. Great ownership. They're, they're, it's fantastic. Well, on that note, my friend, um, I don't have much left, but. Cheers, cheers to you. Yes, cheers. Good seeing you. You too. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Big shout out to Jared for coming on the show, for coming into my office and uh, bringing bourbon for me to taste. That was very brave, actually. But then again, like here I am in the office and the guy. You know, I can hold my own, but I'm pretty sure he could kick my ass. I mean, he's over here talking about Conor McGregor kicking Conor McGregor's ass, and Conor McGregor can kick my ass, so without a doubt. Uh, that being said, uh, thanks, Jared, for uh, for coming on, and uh, really appreciate you bringing the bourbon and, you know, also opening yourself up, being vulnerable, talking about the Pro Football Hall of Fame and what that what that process is like. It seems agonizing. I don't know how anybody could go through that. But cheers to you, my friend. And uh, let's see if your predictions are right with Philadelphia. We'll see. And uh, by the way, so after the interview was done, uh, you know, I mentioned that we were going to taste some more. I busted out some 50-year-old scotch. And he, uh, the dunk, some Duncan and Taylor, 50 year scotch and he was like oh my god 
I think I like this more. And then I gave him some Pappy 15. Remember, he said it was his, he's never had Pappy. He was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, he liked the Pappy 15 a lot. But I think of all the things he tasted here, uh, his favorites were the Duncan Taylor 50 year, um, the 80 year from uh, Glenn Livett, and the um, the rum, the, the Chairman's Reserve rum. So, woo, love all of those. Of course, when you come in my office, those are the goodies you're going to get. But uh, not all guests get to come in the office, unfortunately. You know, maybe I got to change that. Maybe I got to start making it a prerequisite that anyone who does an interview with me has to be in the office. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Let me know what you think about that. Also, thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much. And for lasting this long. I mean, it's a long episode. But that's going to do it for this week, folks. Be safe out there. Remember, no licking handrails, no licking trash cans and vodka sucks. Unless it's being used for hand sanitizer. Cheers, y'all. You've been listening to The Fred Minnick Show, brought to you by 291 Colorado Whiskey, by Michter's, and by Heaven Hill Brands. For more information about Fred's books, articles, podcasts, and more, just go to fredminnick.com.